0: And good morning. How many of you are blessed with a student in your classroom this morning? How many of you are blessed that? Hey, will you show these students how much you appreciate them this morning or <laughs> what they did for you? I know that many of them are nervous, but I hope that you're as blessed as much as they were. So we'll do that again sometime. How's that sound? Uh, we are welcome. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. <laughs> we are so glad that you're here this morning. If you're a first-time guest, we'd love to know more about you. And you'll see inside the bulletin a little blue card. If you'd fill that out and turn that in at the end of the service, we'd sure appreciate that. Or any prayer requests that you may have, fill that out as well, and we'll pray for you in our weekly staff meeting. So once again, welcome to Youth Sunday, a very special day. We've already been blessed, and pray we continue to be blessed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day and for your many blessings, Lord. We thank you for the love and the grace you so freely to bestow upon us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are a righteous Father, that you love us unconditionally. You are a redeemer. You are a forgiver. Thank you, Lord, for sending your one and only Son, Jesus, down the cross for our sins, that we may be forever redeemed and forgiven. I pray, Lord, that you would just be with us this morning, that everything we would do would bring honor and glory unto you as we continue to dedicate this time to you, Jesus. Be with those here this morning that are hurting. Be with those here this morning that are seeking answers to life's greatest questions. And I pray, Jesus, that you be with those here today that don't know you as your Lord and Savior. I pray, Jesus, that today would be the day of salvation in their house. We love you. We ask all these things in your powerful and holy name. Amen.
1: Well, we're so glad you're here today. We sing to the only King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords together today. He is our only King forever. Amen. Stand together. Let's sing these songs of praise. you. You may be seated. Cody, come read scripture for us. In Psalms 95, 1 through 7, it says, Come, let us sing for, for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and exalt him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God and the, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord of our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. I want you to sing this great hymn of our faith together with us today. Sing strongly.
2: It's so sweet.
3: The first church I pastored was Hilltop Baptist in Fort Worth, Texas. It was a small church, a a lot like this one. They voted me in seven to zero, a unanimous call. In fact, it's the only unanimous call I've ever received. God taught me a lot about ministry through that church, and it is there that I saw firsthand the sacrificial giving of his people. One of our sweet members was Lenny Fenton. She was an older lady of very little means. She lived in a small house across the street from the church. Some would even call it a shack. Lenny didn't have much, but she gave sacrificially to our little church and to the offerings we participated in. And she took great joy in giving. She counted it a great privilege to give. Lenny has been with the Lord now for many years, but I take her memory with me wherever I'm serving. I tell her story to our staff and remind myself to look at every dollar we receive like it's Lenny Fenton's dollar. You see, when you give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, we know that many in your church are giving sacrificially. I also know that there are also dozens of worthy ministries and other things that you could support as a church. So I'm grateful for all that you and your church members do to support the Annie offering. Half of what we receive to support our missionaries comes from the Annie offering. And our guidelines require that every penny, every penny of it goes to missionaries and to support them on the field. So whether your church meets in a building similar to this one, or if it's in a much larger facility, or somewhere in between, we will be the very best stewards of everything you send. Thank you what you give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering and for all you're doing to help reach North America for Christ. We are grateful to be your partner.
1: I'm so thankful that God is strong. He is big and he's worthy of our praise today. He's strong enough to Take whoever you are today and make a difference in your life. He's strong enough to take what you give to him today and multiply it further. I want to, we want to worship that God t- together this morning. So would you stand with us and we sing stronger in these songs of worship together. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here to find my rest
2: without you.
0: Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for many blessings. And how great is our God. And victory you have given us in Jesus, dear Lord, and we thank you. Lord, bless us today with all that you have, dear God. We ask you for forgiveness before we failed you. We ask you to help those that need your help today, whether it's in physical health or however it is spiritually. We just come to you, Lord seeking your face lord now at the time of this service where it's time to give of our tithes and offerings we ask that you would bless the giver and the gift in jesus name we pray amen
2: singing over me You have been so, so
1: time with every voice in this room can we sing that chorus
0: Amen, thank you students. Thank you choir. What a day we've already had. What a blessing it's been. I want, first, of all, I want to thank Stuart for the opportunity to preach this morning. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, I, I promised to preach and get everybody home for the Cowboys play. So that's, that's six months from now, so you're in good shape, okay? so Youth Sunday, boy, what a great day. I, I love working with students, whether they're in college or, or teenagers. I, and I guess the reason why it's such a passion for me is I, I love, love those moments when the light bulb kind of goes off in their head when they start to get it. And, and those are great moments. Many students that I encountered, the question, I asked them at LC or even in youth group, what is God calling you to do? And that's my mission in life. That's my passion is to help students discover their calling and their place in the kingdom of God. Um, students are... are full of life and aspirations and dreams and goals and students, you know, what's one of the most important things you need to understand is that the decisions you make now are the most important ones you'll make, especially before your 18th birthday. And so that's why this church cares about you. That's why I love you. That's why we do what we can to encourage you in the faith. Because by the time you get to college, your faith is hopefully developed strongly. Now you may not be able to convince anybody else how to change their mind, but I want you to be so steadfast in what you believe that no one can change your mind. And so, uh, this morning's text is Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This story is told in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. We're going to focus in on the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. It's a story about four young men, most likely they were teenagers, most likely they were students, uh, who had an audacious faith, a, a, audacious faith, who knew their friend was in need and was going to do whatever it took to bring their friend to Jesus. It tells the story a story that has continued to be told. Even 2,000 years later, it's remembered, although we don't know the four young men's name or their, their paralyzed friend. But we see the power of four young men who had an audacious faith. Audacious means showing a willingness to take a surprisingly bold risk, to have courage under fire. One of my favorite actors, one of my heroes is old John Wayne. Who loves John Wayne? Amen? Amen. Uh, John Wayne once said that courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway and and fighting home. That's what real courage is. But as I prepared for this message, I was reminded of four young men who also had dreams and aspirations, who had parents, had those that loved them and cared for them. Four men that made decisions that changed the world that literally have affected millions of people. One young man, um, his mother wanted him to become a lawyer. Another mother wanted her son to become a professor and a teacher. Another mother prayed that her son would become a missionary and spread the gospel to the nations. And a fourth father prayed in the field with a group of men that God would raise up a young man or someone to start a revival, to become a pastor, to become a preacher, like the world has not seen since the days of old. Three of these young men had the audacity to disobey, to disregard the statutes and commands of God. And one of these young men eventually would display an audacious, aud- an audacious faith that we would never forget. What is an audacious faith? If you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, verse 1, there are four marks of an audacious faith. Mark chapter 2, verse 1, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Now, Capernaum had be, kind of become Jesus' home away from home. Now, he himself testifies in Matthew, the Son of Man did not, have, did not even have a rock to lay his head on. Uh, foxes have nests, birds have, have, uh, fox have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nothing. So he had no home, but Capernaum was his home away from home, a kind of place that he could prop his feet up on the coffee table, open up the refrigerator anytime he wanted to, just kind of make himself at home. And most likely, this home was the home of Peter and probably Andrew and maybe his entire family. Capernaum was his unofficial headquarters, his home away from home. Capernaum was on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. I've actually got to go to Capernaum. It's an interesting place. And this house is still there to this day. Of course, the foundation is. But as you walk the streets of Capernaum, it it puts things into context. Uh, This was his home away from home. This is where Jesus hung out. He had another house like that in Bethany with uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But Jesus had come home to Peter's house. And most likely the author of the, although Mark is the author of the gospel of Mark, many people believe that this was Simon Peter's words. He was interviewing Mark. Mark was interviewing Simon Peter to get a firsthand witness or an account of the stories that transpired with the life of Jesus. Verse two, so many gathered and there was no room for them left, not even outside the door as he preached the word to them. In the ancient Near East, communal living was very much a part of life. Uh, if there was a door open policy, if the door is open, feel free to come in, come fellowship, come drink some coffee, you know, whatever, come and hang out. But if the door is closed, that was your way of saying, "Hey, I'm not, I'm not accepting visitors today. I'm, uh, I'm I want some privacy." Which was rare in the ancient Near East in that time. Uh, it's very hospitable over there. I, I remember at one place I got to go to, uh, it was right over the. I got to cross Jordan, but I lived. But I crossed the Jordan River and went into uh, to the city of Petra, and there was a uh, an Arab trader there that offered me some Turkish coffee. And if you've ever had Turkish coffee, it's basically just tar, okay? He walks in, my friend, come sit down, very good. Snaps his fingers, the guy with the fez comes in and brings me this coffee and I'm thinking, yea, as I walk the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. (laughs) Hospitality is huge in the ancient Near East. And so when you open your door, people are allowed to come into your home, you fellowship with them, You you practice hospitality. My wife's family is from Cooter, Missouri. You heard that right, Cooter, Missouri. Okay, you haven't lived. You've been to Cooter. It's a great place. But in Cooter, where her family lives, it's pretty much like that. I'm not even sure they have keys to their homes. Okay, the doors are open all the time, and family and friends are moving in and out constantly. That may have been the way it was in your house. The door was always open. But this home was open. Jesus is preaching, and there's no room for them anywhere. People are just trying to strain their necks, and I'm sure there are babies crying and. And men were coughing and people were just listening intently to what Jesus had to say. And so as Jesus is preaching, some men came, bringing them a paralytic carried by four men with him. This is an audacious audacious faith. There are four men bringing a young man on a stretcher to see Jesus. An audacious faith first has a sense of urgency. Their friend was in need, and they knew the only, person that could feel him, the only person that could heal him physically and spiritually was Jesus. What kind of urgency? What do you mean by a sense of urgency? The kind of urgency that calls for immediate action. I never will forget, uh, back in the early 90s, my parents here today, you'll remember this, mom and dad. Back in the early 90s, I was going to preach a wedding, and as I'm walking out the door, the phone rings. I pick it up. My mom says, hey, have you preached the wedding yet? I said, no, not yet. I'm walking out the door. Why? Is everything Okay. Well, your dad has just fallen through the ceiling, 14 feet. We're in the emergency room. Can you get here? That was the fastest wedding I ever preached in my entire life. Do you? Do you kiss her? Bye. I'm gone. I got to the emergency room. The lady said, "Oh no, you can't have any more, ve- can't have any more guests in here." I said, "I don't care. I'm bigger than you are. I'm getting back there now." And so my father had fallen through the ceiling. He had broken his arm, broken a couple of ribs. Praise God, he was okay. There was a sense of urgency. I had to get to him immediately. Well, there was a sense of urgency. They were trying to get a young man into this house, and they were going to go through the roof as well. And they were going to do whatever it took to get their friend to come to Jesus. You see, where there's an audacious faith, there's a sense of urgency, but there also, there's a sense of calling. They did whatever it took to bring their friend to Jesus, even using unconventional ways and events and unconventional ways to bring people to Jesus. Verse 4, since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat that the paralyzed man was lying on. Can you imagine what that man must have been thinking? <laughs> Please don't drop me. I'm already paralyzed. I don't need anything else, okay? Take it easy. And as Jesus is preaching, I'm sure you can imagine you can hear the roof being dug. Because in the ancient Near East, most roofs were flat. And there were about three-foot slats and beams in between uh, in the ceiling, they'd put sod and mud and clay, and most of the homes had grass or something growing on them to help uh, keep them from leaking. And this was Peter's house. Imagine what Peter must have been thinking. Lord, you're, you're tearing up, they're tearing up my house. Okay? These teenagers, are tearing up my house. These children, are tearing up the church. They're tearing up the house. And this was Peter's home, and he's probably recollecting this moment. By now... In verse 6, excuse me, in in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, you could probably hear a hush in that crowd and awe. What is he talking about? Because then the critics, the critics, don't you love the critics? Praise God for the critics, Stuart. The critics. The opinions. I've heard once that opinions are like armpits. Everybody's got one or two of them. They always stink, okay? <laughs> the critics. Oh, ho, 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 Ha, <laughs> ha, We got Jesus now. Blasphemer. Got that preacher now. I Got that Sunday school teacher. Got that music man, that youth director. We got him now. <laughs> got that deacon. Got that Christian. Here's our moment to get him. Ha, <laughs> ha. Yes, you will always have thorns in the flesh, but Paul reminds us, Our grace is sufficient for thee, for in our weakness we find our strength. Even Jesus dealt with the critics. Blessed when men shall revile you and shall persecute you and shall say all manner of evil falsely against you for my sake, for great is your reward in heaven. Jesus dealt with the critics. You got a critic at work, you got a critic at home, pray for him. I know that's not natural, I know that's not easy, but you just pray for him. Jesus dealt with the critics. The teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, "Why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive God? Who can forgive sins but God? God. Jesus. He was in their midst. These teachers of the law, these theological police, these spies and scouts for the Sanhedrin. They were probably assigned to watch Jesus' every move. If you've ever seen the, the movie Rocky III, it's one of my favorite movies, Rocky III. And Rocky goes to Russia to train to fight the evil Russian, you know. And he has those two KGB guys that follow him wherever he goes. So Rocky's training. Hey, yo, you know, he's everywhere training. Wherever he goes, these Russians, these KGB officers are following him. Every move he's making. And there were spies in the midst, and Jesus was watched carefully. Every word that he said, every action he took was carefully scrutinized and reported back to the Sanhedrin. But from the Jewish perspective, there were three levels of blasphemy. The first level is if you spoke evil of the law of God. The second was my more serious, spoke evil of God directly, cursing the name of God, which was punishable by death. The third level of blasphemy was the most severe when it, it took place when a quote-unquote sinful man claimed to possess the divine authority and that they were also equal with God. These teachers of the law were clenching their teeth and the rock in their pocket. This blasphemer, let's get him. This is our chance. And Jesus reminds them later on, O ye among you without sin, you cast the first stone. Blasphemy. I've learned to, to pray through the years, Lord, help me to live a life that silences the harshest of critics and the applause of men. We serve with the discretion of the Lord. We, we preach his gospel, even in the midst of opposition when those that hate us and oppose us and ridicule us. And so as we continue in verse 8, it says immediately. In the, the, in the Gospel of Mark, there's a lot of immediately's in there. It's a, it's a book, very short, it's very fast, but it's a lot of details. And of the synoptic gospel, this is the mo- of the synoptic gospel stories, this is the most detailed account of the three. It says, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive you. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you the truth, get up, take up your mat and you go home. An audacious faith has a sense of urgency it has a sense of calling but also has a sense of purpose jesus reminds us just a few verses down that he did not come for the healthy no it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick he has come to call the righteous not he has not come to call the righteous but to call the sinners to repentance jesus said get up take up your mat walk and go home and immediately he did Immediately he did. People say, well, why doesn't God heal like that anymore? He does heal that way. He forgives us from the greatest sickness known to man, an incurable disease. In that moment, we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We are set free. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We have been set free and in that moment. He, he dropped everything. The old life was gone. He was a new creation in Christ. We were forgiven. Of the, we were, he was healed of the greatest sickness, the sickness of sin. If we confess our sins, he's just and faithful and he will forgive us of all our unrighteousness, past, present, future. The Lord forgives, the Lord heals, the Lord sets free. The Lord does heal us spiritually. And I know there's sometimes the Lord, we, we, we desire for the Lord to, to heal our loved ones physically. I remember as a young child, I remember finding out about a friend of mine named Christy May who had cancer. And, I, and as a young kid, I heard the words the first time in my life, St. Jude's, Memphis, those words, words that no kid should ever have to understand. I remember the day that she did go into glory. I, I remember as a young child understanding in that moment that although the Lord did not f- heal her physically, he did bring her home and he healed her. No more shedding of tears, no more pain. My best friend, Todd Dubos, has a daughter named Emily. She has neurofibromatosis where, nerve end, where tumors grow in her nerve endings. She's been fighting it for years. Todd is my best friend. He's my brother. And I don't understand why God doesn't heal her. But it's not up to us to understand. It's up to us to be obedient and to trust even we don't understand. So, yes, the Lord can heal. And, yes, but, but the Lord heals us of the ultimate sickness, the sickness of sin. Not only does an audacious faith have a sense of urgency, a sense of calling, and a sense of purpose, but finally, there's a sense of innovation. They did whatever it took to bring this young man to Jesus, even in unconventional ways. It says in the text, in verse 12, He got up, he took his mat, he walked out in full view of them all, This amazed everyone. In the original text, the the word amazed here means to be astonished, to be confused, to even lose one's mind. You blew my mind. What's happening here? What happened? And everyone saw this, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Praise God for that. There was an old book that came out a few years ago. The seven last words of a dying church are, we've never done it this way before. Now, I'm not against old methods. I'm not against new things. Um, methods change, but the gospel message does not. Um, the old should not be discounted, nor should the new. I, I was put on the National Collegiate Week Committee, planning committee, a couple of years ago, and I got to go to Nashville every year and hang out with the big shots at Lifeway, you know, which means nothing, but <laughs> I was amongst them at the Draper building <laughs> that no longer exists. It's gone. It's gone. Anyway. Um, I was there and we're talking about bringing in different speakers and, and different, uh, different artists to come for collegiate week. And we're all just kind of talking and somebody, it may have been me jokingly that said, Hey, let's see if the Gaithers are available. And one of my friends there who was from Florida, who did not grow up in a Christian home said, who are the Gaithers? And I went, you've never heard of Bill and Gloria and, and Larnell and Vestal Goodman. He's, he said, Vestal who, you know, Vestal, big Afro eyebrows going out of here. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> flowing moo moo handkerchief never heard of them i thought that's interesting hmm never heard of the gaithers are the gaithers bad no well who are they i said Well, just think about this for a second the gaithers were the passion of the 70s oh i get it now styles change music changes but the word of the lord stands forever i know about the heavenly highway hymns with the shape notes and the more heavenly highways, the sequel that come to it, and I get that. Just because it's old does not need it needs to be discounted, nor if it's new, it's the same. The same Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We have to be creative in how we reach people for Jesus. The interesting in Luke 5, 26, it says they were filled with fear. That word fear in the Greek is phobos, as we get our word phobias to fear. But in this context, it means they were filled with fear, meaning they were awestruck with reverence that comes from being exposed to the person and the presence and the power of God. We've never seen anything like this. That's when the Holy Spirit jumps in, does great things, and we can't take credit for it and say, well, it has nothing to do with me. It's what the Lord does. I think it's safe to say that no one that day left the same. As I prepared for this message, I thought about those four young men. I thought about the parents of, of those young men, how proud they must have been that day of them. I think about my own boys and what the Lord has in store for them, what's his legacy for them. I remember when they were born, I'm thinking, what kind of a world have I brought these sons into, you know? The Lord has kind of whispered in my heart the kind of world that needs them. Christian children, Christian homes, those four men are still being talked about 2,000 years later. I wonder what happened to those young men or the, the paralytic at that. You know, earlier in this message, I, I told you about four separate young men that made choices that literally affected millions of people. Three chose poorly. One chose to be obedient. The first whose mother had hoped that her son would become a lawyer in 1989 serial killer Ted Bundy, was executed in Florida for killing over 30 women. Another mother prayed that her son would become a missionary and spread the gospel to the nations. After serving time in the military, he chose to go on to publishing. Hugh Hefner, fueled by lust, created a multimedia empire built upon the exploitation of women. Another young man whose parents wanted their son to become a professor and a teacher scraped together pennies and tried to find ways for their son to continue his education. And then at a very early age, he decided that there was no God, that he would become an atheist. And Dr. Stephen Hawking this week succumbed to Lou Gehrig's disease. He was quoted as saying, I'm not afraid of death, but I'm in no hurry to die. I have so much I want to do first. I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. He added, There is no heaven nor afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. He himself was paralyzed, but he was paralyzed with the greatest sickness known to man sin. I can only hope and pray in the last hours of his life that he chose to follow and accept the Lord. The fourth father who prayed in the field with a group of men prayed that the Lord would raise among them a young man or someone that would present the gospel, that would start a revival. And the father of Billy Graham indeed prayed hard and long. Billy Graham preached the gospel to the nations. Some have even called him the greatest preacher, the most influential pastor, perhaps even since the Apostle Paul. Student, parent, grandparent, because yes, this is Student Sunday. But the last time I checked, we're all students. We're all continuing to learn, to walk in obedience. Is your faith an audacious one? Is there a sense of urgency to spread the gospel? Is there a sense of calling and purpose to fulfill the great commission to go share with your family and friends and your neighbors the good news of Jesus, the transformational power of the gospel? And thirdly, church, are we willing to have a sense of innovation as we proclaim the gospel, even in the 21st century? Or are we as a church going to say and have the audacity to say no? Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, we love you, Lord. We do thank you for your many blessings. Lord, we thank you for the audacious faith of four young men who knew the only hope their friend had was Jesus. And I pray that you would be with those here this morning that are paralyzed with sin. They're paralyzed and gripped by fear. Those are in a dark room of no hope. I pray, Jesus, that you would open their eyes, that they may see your truth, Jesus. That you may set them free, Lord, that you will show them, Jesus, that your hope for the hopeless, peace and forgiveness, be with those today that need you as Lord and Savior. I pray in this moment, Lord, they would call to you. They I would just simply ask, Lord, save me. Be with those that are hurting today, Lord Jesus. Be with those that just need a touch from your tender hand of mercy. Lord, help us all to have an audacious faith. As we leave here this morning, that we will be reminded that we are your ambassadors. We are your witnesses and you've called us to proclaim the good news of Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you for these students. Thank you for their boldness and for their willingness to be used. We love you, Jesus. We ask that everything that is done here bring honor and glory to you. Amen.